0: Hey, it's Ed. I've got two quick announcements before we get started. First, I want to thank two brand new podcast supporters, Holly Wilkoshefsky and Jeremy Crohn's. Both Holly and Jeremy signed up via Patreon to support the podcast on a monthly basis, and I really appreciate it. If you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to com slash support. And the second announcement is very exciting, we are going to be doing a live podcast in Bozeman, Montana on August 30th. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be at the Ellen Theater in downtown Bozeman, and it's going to feature four of my past podcast guests that I'm pretty sure you have probably listened to those episodes. Kate Havstad, Jillian Lecuski, Becca Skinner, and Juanita Vero. We're going to be on stage talking about creativity, conservation, the West, favorite books, They're going to ask each other questions. It's going to be a really cool event and a portion of the proceeds are going to be benefiting the Montana land reliance. I encourage you to go to the website and check it out. You can go to mountainprairie.com slash Bozeman. You can order tickets through there. The tickets are cheap and they're actually selling really fast, which is cool. We sold like a quarter of the tickets in the first 48 hours and the thing's four months off. So not trying to give you a hard sales pitch here, but I would encourage you to grab a ticket or two if you're interested in going. I'd love to see you there. It'd be great to meet you in person. And again, I appreciate your constant support for this podcast. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. My guest today is Mary Pierre. Mary is a fourth-generation Montanan, avid sportswoman, and public lands advocate who's explored our nation's wild places from coast to coast. She's also the marketing and experiences manager at Filson, one of the most storied and respected outdoor apparel brands anywhere. Currently based in Seattle, Mary has managed to combine her personal and professional passions into an interesting and rewarding career that melts together high-performance business, with conservation and time in wide open spaces. As a child, Mary grew up in a household that respected the outdoors and valued rich experiences over accumulating endless amounts of stuff. Her father worked as a commercial fisherman and logger, wearing Filson gear to his jobs in the often brutal environments of Alaska and the West. Mary headed to Oregon State for college, and soon after graduation entered the apparel business, eventually landing at Filson. Since then, she's worn many hats at the company, and now works closely with Filson's partnership with backcountry hunters and anglers, helping to produce their campfire stories events around the country. If you're like me, love the outdoors, and own a ridiculously large stash of gear, odds are you've dreamed about working at a well-known outdoor apparel company. Mary's career serves as an excellent case study for anyone interested in pursuing this path, and she reveals how she managed to land such a dream job. We talk about her education and early career, as well as her decision to work retail at Filson in order to get her foot in the door. We talk about the important lessons she learned from working the sales floor and how those retail experiences inform and enhance her current role at Filson. We chat about an epic road trip she took with her husband in which they visited public lands from coast to coast, and we talk about how her upbringing in rural Montana instilled a deep love and respect of public lands. As usual, we discuss favorite books, places in the West, and the best advice she's ever received. Hope you enjoy. When you meet somebody for the first time and never met them before, like at a social event, and they ask you that question, what do you do? How do you answer that question?
1: Yeah, um, I am Filson's marketing and experiences manager. So what that means is, um, you know, we have 17 retail stores. We um, are activating all over the country. Um, So I'm helping manage all of the events, the partnerships, the parties, the launches, um, all of that.
0: That's so cool. And I think that most people who listen to this are very familiar with Filson because there's so much overlap between your marketing reach and what you guys do and then the, the interest that I have and that the people have on this podcast. But just in case there's like two people out there that don't know about Filson, can you describe the company and kind of, and then we'll talk about the history of the company because I think that's super cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the history is definitely one of um, my favorite parts to talk about the brand. Um, but, you know, we, Filson began outfitting um, prospectors heading uh, for the Klondike Gold Rush. Yep. Um and so you know they were creating apparel and goods durable enough to um like withstand that crazy environment of the Yukon. Um so today we're still in Seattle, um, so about 122 years. Um still in Seattle manufacturing. We're a wholesaler, we've got all sorts of retail stores, um, and constantly developing um new products and also still making like all of that awesome stuff that, you know, we were making in the early 1900s too. You know, the, are you familiar with the cruiser? Sorry, I'm like such chatter. I could talk about Fulton all day. That's why long. I had
0: you on here, to oh. chatter away. We got, I mean, we can go for like 10 hours if you want. Yeah, let it, let it, let it rip.
1: Yeah. Are you familiar? Um, well, you know, like 10 cloth, right? Flax yes. canvas. But okay.
0: explain that for people that don't.
1: Okay. So it is a rugged twill. It's mm-hmm. a twill that has been waxed heavily. Um, it was really like it's the original rain jacket. Um, this like waxed twill was used as sails um, on sailboats. Okay. So it's very, very water resistant. It's very abrasion resistant. Um, and yeah, it was basically, you know, it was used before all these like synthetic um, raincoats were made.
0: So that was the kind of the first big product that Filson came out with?
1: Well, we were working in wool um, before
0: okay.
1: um, when they were, like, outfitting folks that were heading up to the Yukon for the gold rush. Um, but when the timber industry took off um, in the Pacific Northwest, C.C. Um, Filson, Clinton Clarinor Filson was his name. No, yeah. Most people don't know that. He, you know, started supporting the timber industry. They, um, you know, it's the temperate here. It's like it's wet, it's cold, you know, you're walking through these really thick rainforests, big old growth forests. um, And that tin cloth was the perfect material for jackets and pants here. You know, they weren't ripping, they were keeping people dry.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and, you know, I I knew that Filson was had been around for that long, but I never officially connected them with the Klondike Gold Rush. And I just recently read a book about that. And one of the main takeaways was that when you look at that Klondike gold rush and you look at the fortunes that were made or the lasting businesses that were made, there there are very, very few, if any, fortunes that were made from actually mining gold out of the ground. But there were a lot of very sustainable businesses and kind of multi-generational empires that came from the people supplying those gold rushes and i've always, yeah. I've thought about that you know with the oil and gas industry out here in in the the west and how it's such a boom and bust thing but the people supplying the 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 services are the ones that can kind of keep a sustainable business that's that's really interesting i didn't realize that um yeah so that's
1: so true what book were you reading it's
0: called it was called the klondike quest and it's like a coffee table book with a bunch of okay. photos in it somebody gave it to me but it's yeah. um yeah, really interesting. I'll link to that. So, I, one thing that I admire about, well, I admire, I admire a lot about Filson, but, um, and I'm generally very skeptical of companies. So, I'm not just saying that. Like, they're, they're kind <laughs> of like, there are very few companies that I admire, and Filson's one of them. And um, I, I'm always intrigued by how they've managed to compete in a market where the the gear gets more and more and more high tech, like with Gore Tex and then every variation of that. And it just seems like these jackets, for example, are just getting more and more. Um, like spacesuits and Filson has kind of stayed i mean that they're obviously improving their technology, but they 've stayed basically are uh, pretty basic compared to to how they 've always been so what's the secret to that
1: mm that's a really good question um, two parts I think one is um like how we've managed to hold like such a high standard for so long is um is humility. Like Mm -hmm. the, the legacy that like we've inherited, you know, and I mean, we, as in like the people that are working for Filson right now from the founder, um, is like, you know, in that quality and standard of the product, like people have confidence in our brand, um, and they know the quality. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, what's kept us going for so long is like, that hasn't wavered. Yep. Um, and then, and then you asked about, high tech or, um, synthetic materials. Is that right? Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think there's, we, we actually say this a lot around the office is like different jobs, different tools. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, what worked, what worked then back in the day still works now for a lot of things. Um, you know, man, mankind has been trying to, um, make fibers that mimic wool, you know, when, yeah. like, Nothing manages moisture like wool.
0: Sure. That's exactly (laughs) Um,
1: right. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, these high tech fibers aren't right for whatever that person's job is, you know, or whatever they need that tool for. And that's, I think, what we like to create our products around is like, what purpose does this product serve? You know, yeah, it's all, very, it's very purpose driven. And so, yeah, different, different tools for different jobs.
0: Yeah. I, I learned that lesson the hard way when I moved out to Wyoming and started selling ranches and on some of my first ranch tours, I I was wearing like a high tech puffy down coat and <laughs> it only took about trying to open a gate, you know, barbed wire gate like twice before I'd rip the thing in sheds. <laughs> <Yep>. And so <laughs> I think that's a perfect example of that. Um, Let's do talk okay. about let's talk about the marketing real quick because yeah. I feel like not to talk about one of your competitors, but I don't even know if it is a competitor. But but I I so admire the marketing of Filson and of Patagonia because I feel like they're both extremely authentic, kind of different ends of the outdoor world. But there there's no shortage of authenticity in both of those companies, and it just really shines through. And so I know some folks who work at Patagonia, but you're the first person I've met that works at Filson. So can you just talk a little bit about how, I mean, it's a hard question, I guess, but how do Mm -hmm. y'all, how do y'all keep the marketing so authentic and have managed to do that for so long?
1: It's, it is real people doing real things. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds, that sounds silly. Like, of course we would, you know, but a lot of, People are using models Um, and I think, yeah. And I think the reason our campaigns are so incredible is because we don't hire models. Like we feature experts in their field, um, that are doing what they do, like when we're not following them around with a camera. Yeah. So I think like the types of characters Filson has encountered, um, through this has been really incredible. And I think people can connect with it so quickly because it's, it's obvious that like, yeah, that person really does that.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, there, I think you can, you can t- definitely tell because a lot of the shots like in the catalog and things like that, they're actually like commercial fishermen on boats. And it, I mean, that's dangerous stuff. And I doubt many models <laughs> would be able to, <laughs> to get out there and do that. Um, oh, one other yeah. one other question about your specific job at Filsen, and it's kind of the way we were connected is because of the um, partnership that Filson has with backcountry hunters and anglers. And I know mm-hmm. that's been a, a really successful deal. And could you maybe just talk a little bit about, about that partnership and some of the things y'all have done together?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, Filson is a very proud sponsor and friend of backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, yeah, we value the work that they're doing to protect wildlife, public land, water, um, well, oh, first I should say, are you for, are you totally familiar with BHA?
0: I'm pretty familiar, but in case people aren't, give, give us the overview. That'd be awesome.
1: Okay. I hope I do them justice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you do better than I would.
1: <laughs> um, well, so in short, um, BA or Backcountry hunters and anglers is, um, it's a nonpartisan group of sportsmen, um, sportsmen and sportswomen, um, who are standing up for public land and for outdoor opportunities that um, are represented in that. And um, I think, you know, their main priority is to protect what little is left of our public lands heritage. So it's really like, you know, the sportsman's voice, but it's very, it's very inclusive. You know, you think because of the name backcountry hunters and anglers, you think like, Oh, it's just a bunch of hunters and anglers, but it's amazing what they've done. Like I've met, runners, I've met climbers, um, you know, skiers that have gotten on board with this organization because they, you know, respect the, the action that they're taking to um, protect these spaces.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of the bright sides of a lot of these um, controversies around public lands over the last few years with the latest um, president, because is that a lot of different ends of the outdoor spectrum seem to have come together and banded together to protect public lands, groups that five, six years ago were probably at odds. Like I I always say, like bird hunters and people from the Audubon Society are are together, you know, fighting for for this common goal, which is cool. So so what what about Phil's like what has Philson done with with BHA?
1: yeah so we um, two years ago we partnered up with them and are doing a series that we call campfire stories so it's a public lands focused storytelling event series um, very similar to the moth yeah if yeah. you're familiar with that okay um, but it's you know public land story based um, we've done close to I think 20 or 30 storytelling events already with wow. bHA um, a lot of them hosted in our Fills and retail stores across the country, breweries, um, you know, outside parks and spaces, theaters, um, you know, we've got one coming up um, in Bend at a theater downtown I'm really excited about. It's really been a fun partnership and it's been really fun for, I think, the hunting industry as well to be able to have like shed some really positive light on on the sport Mm -hmm. of hunting yes um you know and be able to really explain to people like to be able to explain to people what it is and um why they do it and the science base behind it um yeah because i think you know so many people especially folks that grow up in the city and grow up in seattle don't they don't know. Yeah, yeah they, they don't, didn't grow up around it.
0: Yeah, they don't fully understand it, and they think, you know, I think they they see kind of the the mainstream version of it, like Ted Nugent, you know, running around firing <laughs> machine guns, and, and you know when and the people, a lot of the people that you guys have had, you've had some of the same people that I've had on this podcast and then other, you know, pretty well-known folks who approach hunting with a very, very conservation kind of thoughtful mindset. So um, I've heard, I have not yet been to one of those, but I've heard great things about them. And so if if you're, when you're in Colorado, I'll be sure to, to come to one. Um, So a lot of people, at least me, when, like when I was in college and out of college, I just kind of had this dream of working at a big outdoor company, outdoor apparel company, whether it's Patagonia or Filson. It just seems like anybody who loves the outdoors would think that that would be a super cool job. And I'm <laughs> sure it is. Um, and so, but it's extremely competitive and hard to get in that world. So I'd love to talk a little bit about how you ended up in that job. So Where did where when did you first decide you wanted to work in the outdoor apparel industry?
1: I think I always have been interested in it. I mean, as long as I can remember, um, you know, it was always a topic. Not working in the industry, but gear and product was always a topic around the dinner table at my house growing up. Um, you know, it was talked about as a tool, not fashion. By no means are my was my family talking about fashion no offense to them but um <laughs>
0: <laughs> wait and, where, and where'd you grow up
1: uh I grew up in northwest Montana cool yep
0: yes yeah, a, little,
1: a little hardcore country Fork. yeah oh yeah yeah beautiful uh so you know again like talking about using product as a tool um you know my dad is was constantly and still is like tweaking his gear and his um apparel to like fit for the solution that he was going to be in um mm-hmm. you know he's he has like he has camps i shouldn't be telling you guys this <laughs> but he has camps like hidden all over montana like he'll have you know a raincoat a you know extra knife shovel food um he has canoes in like trees also does he really? somewhere Oh yeah, like all over <laughs> the state of Montana. So it's just awesome. like total survival, dude. Like, yeah, he's got it. He has it dialed. Um, we actually, there was actually a couple of summers ago, um, a fire ripped through one of the areas that I know he had two camps in. Uh huh. <laughs> and and he went back last summer and. They were gone. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Has, I was like, well, there's a couple thousand dollars burnt up.
0: <laughs> well, well, not to, not to get veer too far off, but is your dad, is your dad a Montana native or did he move there? How did your family end up in Montana? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Um, my dad is a Montana native. Um, my, let's see, I am fourth generation Montana. And so my dad's third. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. My great grandfather came to Montana um, from Maine. He okay. was started hog farming um, not far out of Great Falls. Yep. Gosh, he raised, he raised sixteen kids, which is just crazy. Um, and my grandpa Lee was one of them. Wow. Um, I don't But actually, my great grandpa, his name—he has the coolest name. And if I ever have a kid someday, I'm definitely going to use some of this. But his name was Lloyd Snow Hall. Uh huh. Um, and I nobody knows why his middle name was Snow, um, but I heard he was like t- he's tough as hell. So I don't know. I he would have
0: to be tough. To I mean, coming more- from Maine, coming from Maine is hardcore enough, especially back in those days. And then moving out into the wilds of Montana, he, you just yeah, what a you just yeah. wonder how damn tough that guy was.
1: <laughs> and to be a hog farmer, yes. um, he's also a bootlegger. He got kicked out of Montana for a while. They like gave him the option they were like okay we'll put you in jail or you split <laughs> you know get out of here so apparently he left um for it was like right at the end of the prohibition. cuz i know my grandpa was born like uh early 30s you know so know. and he was born in montana so he could yes. he had had come back by then
0: and <laughs> so what did your dad do for a living or what does he do for a living
1: he has you know he's like alaska commercial fisherman you know while i was growing up and my younger Younger years, and then he um, was a logger for majority of my childhood, tree work. Um, Now he's working for the electrical union. Okay. Um, Yeah, running crane, operating cranes and um, heavy equipment. Yeah, building substations.
0: That is so hardcore because I'm (laughs) from North Carolina. I'm from East North Carolina, and, like, all my ancestors rode up the Cape Fear River in a boat in, like, the 1600s. Wow. And they got off and nobody has, nobody left like 150 miles square, 150 mile radius until I moved to Jackson Hole in 2000.
2: <laughs> no way. Oh,
1: and do they just think you're crazy or
0: what? Uh, they, my parents are awesome and they were completely supportive, but I'm sure people thought, thought I was crazy. Cause I was kind of late. I was like 27 when I moved out and everybody's like, what are you going out there to find yourself? I was like, no, <laughs> I've actually got a real job, but, <laughs> but I mean, and I thought I was hardcore moving out there in 07. And, and I mean, that's just such a level, I mean, 05, that's such a level of toughness in your family. So, I mean, did you grow up, Mm -hmm. obviously you grew up hunting, fishing, all that kind of stuff.
1: Um, like I definitely grew up in the woods with my dad and brother, um, on all of their hunt trips. You know, I actually didn't start hunting until I was out of the house.
2: Um, Really? Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of another story of how I got around to that. Um, But, yeah, I grew up horse showing, rodeoing, uh, you know, playing sports, playing in the woods, um, fishing, of course, with the family, a lot of shenanigans with the neighborhood (laughs) friends, you know. Um, But, yeah, we were just outside. That was all, you know, that's all we did. Growing up in Montana, you know, we didn't grow up on a huge piece of property, but it was like state land, public land, surrounded my folks' property. So it was wasn't much time spent inside.
0: So when did you decide, I guess, back to the career track, when did you decide to, that you would consider not living in Montana for a while? I mean, what, what, what took you? Cause it seems oh. like the route, uh, the route that you've ended up on, you know, working with a big company, even though it's an awesome big company, it's just a lot different than a lot of, you know, what your, your family history has been. So how did that, how did that enter your mind? <laughs>
1: Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good question because I have thought about this question so much in the last 12 years. Um, so I was like, I'm never leaving Montana, so I need to go to university outside of Montana because I need to be able to say I left once. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I need to go get cultured.
2: <laughs> so uh,
1: <laughs> I went to Corvallis, Oregon, Oregon State University, which is funny that like, you know, I went from one small town to the next um, getting to get cultured. Um, (laughs) but it was such a cool experience. Um, I'm so glad I'm so glad I did leave, but what, what I, I'm getting to, I guess, is that I thought I'd go right back to Montana after college. And, um, we, you know, in the program I so I studied, um, merchandising management at, at Oregon state. And they require you to have a, um, internship in order to graduate. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got an internship in Santa Barbara, California,
2: Oh um,
1: the summer before graduation. So I went down there. Um, it was with a company called Deckers. Yeah. So they own, oh, are you familiar?
0: I am. Yes. Okay.
1: So they own Teva, Hoka, Ugg, Australia. Um, who else?
0: They've made a lot of money off of me because of Hoka's. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm addicted to hocus. I'm addicted to them. I cannot wear anything else. No way. And I, I, they have made like those things could cost a thousand dollars a pair and I would still have to buy them because they, if I didn't wear those, I would, my knees would not exist. I'd have to get okay. my legs amputated. So yes, no I know worries. Deckers.
1: Okay. Yeah. Do you wear them to work?
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad, but I probably will be okay. soon though. <laughs> okay.
1: But I bought my husband a pair actually for Valentine's day this year. Nice. And I, I bought the like all black ones and they're waterproof, and I was like, okay, these are the least like unattractive ones. Sorry, Hoka. <laughs> and he will not take them off, and I'm like, dude, you cannot wear those like <laughs> out in public. But it's just, it's all, it's long gone. He's wearing them.
0: That's but as cool. he says,
1: he's like, Mary, you've got to try these. Like, they, your knees are going to feel so much better.
0: So oh, they're magic shoes. All right, so we could we could do a separate podcast just about my oh, love yeah. of Hoka's. But <laughs> all right, so you went to work at Deckers. How was that? I
1: did. Oh my gosh, it was awesome. So I was um, under the UGG Australia. I don't even know why I'm saying UGG Australia. Everyone knows what UGG is. I was yeah. under the UGG umbrella. Okay. Um, which was incredible. So I've always worked in wool, really.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was hired to be a product intern. So I just was there to do anything. Um, all summer, you know, I did a lot of pairing two shoes together. Lots of sampling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was so fun, but I, yeah, it was, a, you know, such an awesome experience to experience California, experience the central coast of California. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you've spent any time there.
0: I've not been that far South. I've, I've spent a lot of time or some time up North, but not, not that far down South. I want to though.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so special. Um, the central coast is like, is one of my favorite places in the country. You know, we've got the Los Padres National Forest yep. that like basically bangs right up into the coast. You know, it's like oceans, mountains within 5 minutes you can be on either. Oh yeah. Um yeah. And so I really really enjoyed that loved the opportunity at UG and they when I was leaving for the end of the summer which I still can't believe they wanted to hire me I know I did a good job but like I had so much, I had so much fun that summer um, oh man they uh, yeah they said you know when you graduate come back we'd love to have you oh cool yeah so um, I moved down there right after college um, so why I guess why I was saying this to you is like that was the beginning of how I did. I still have not returned.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that that makes sense. I mean, I, I think Santa Barbara, I've, I've never spent time there, but I've got a friend that lives there and it sounds just unbelievable. Um, and being that close to the water, I love to surf. So that's that's the only thing Colorado is missing is good ocean. Um <laughs> Totally. When, so wh- when did Filson come on your radar as a, as a legit, um, job opportunity?
1: You know, my husband and I were down in Santa Barbara. He got into naturopathic medical school, um, uh-huh. up here in Seattle. And I have wanted to work for Filson since I was a kid, honestly. So like I told you my dad was a logger. Like he would come home every day and like, you know, he'd take off his, um, 10 cloth pants and his tin cloth jacket. And like, they were so stiff from being waxed for like so many years and being wet. Like he could stand them up in the living room. Like those are some of my earliest memories is like with the brand. Um, and so when Adam was like, I got in, let's do it. I was like, Oh, well I know where I'm going to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to get a job there, but, um, I knew that that's where I wanted to work. Um, so when we got up here, I walked into the Seattle Filson flagship store and was just looking around. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's like, um, you know, the quality of the product matches the quality of the building, everything, um, every little detail it's most people say like, can I actually just move in? Um, yeah, we get, we'll have to have you come down and check it out. It's, it's incredible. I've
0: seen photos of it. It looks un- unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is it is really it's special. Um, so, you know, I looked online and saw that there weren't any positions open that were even relatively close to what I had done before. Um, and so I was looking for other work in Seattle and just thought, well, shoot, like I might as well see if they'll let me work retail um, while I look for other jobs and I can like finally, you know buy a bunch of Filson product if I can get a discount and like just learn more about the brand and like, maybe I'll meet somebody. Yeah. Um, so they I've, I've literally walked in and like met the store manager that day and I was like, um, can I work here? <laughs> and he was like, let's sit down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I started like, gosh, three days later as part-time retail store staff.
0: So how long were you in retail until you moved over to the, the corporate side of things?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't remember. Probably seven months maybe. Um, so I went from like part-time to full-time yep. to helping run the store like pretty quickly. Honestly, like working retail, I don't know. Have you ever worked retail?
0: I have worked retail. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about because it was one of the most valuable experiences I've I've ever had um, as far as just Setting my my priorities straight because it's it's invaluable experience. What was your experience like doing retail?
1: Well, it was incredible, and I don't know if most people would say this, but it was. I mean, getting to meet—I feel very lucky that this was my first opportunity in retail because getting to meet Fulsome customers mm-hmm. is the coolest thing in the world um, because their love for the brand is so. Um, it's so personal because yep. most of our guests have um, you know found out about the brand through an heirloom piece or um, a story they read or a campaign that they followed along with you know that like just cut to them yep so that was super fun. Um, and there's just like the the old timers too like the old timer crusty customers that like have been coming in to the Filson Seattle flagship store for like you know, a good fifty-five years.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and I would guess oh. that your that your experience with it, and your I mean, you've got a legitimate, authentic connection to it, like you were talking about with your dad, and when he would come home. And I would guess that that you can kind of connect over that in kind of a weird way, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you learn so much about the person by just the garment that they brought in, like like what the hobbies they're doing, like, you know, how they make a living, what the hobbies are that they do on the weekends. You know, it's like bloodstained chaps equaled bird hunter or, you know, hunter, you know, tin cloth pants that were cut off at the bottoms like, oh, that guy's definitely a logger, Um, you know, briefcase that was like being brought in that like they were just holding together. It was like, oh, that briefcase has been carried by multiple generations, you know?
0: That's, um, that's one of the – another question I had just about the company in general is that it seems like a lot of companies now, their their deal is make things with planned obsolescence in mind so that eventually you'll have to buy a new one in a few years. Whereas Philson seems mm-hmm. to be the exact opposite of that where they're like, we want you to buy one of these in your entire mm-hmm. life and then you give it to your kid and then they can give it to their kid. And so, I mean, where does that – I mean, obviously, I guess it's just a culture, a corporate cultural thing, but, but yep. how does that, where does that come from? Cause it, it just goes in the face of a lot of standard business practices.
1: You know, I think it just, we, Pilsen just remains committed to producing unfailing goods, yep. you know, that are going to like live up to our founder's promise.
0: Um, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where it's very simple, but it's, it's not very easy. Like, like the idea of it is very simple, but, but most companies can't do that. And Filson can, which is, which is pretty neat. Um, back to the retail thing real quick. Oh so yeah. what, yeah. now that you're not in the retail side of things, but you know, you're, you're on the corporate side of things. How did that experience in retail, how does that kind of inform your, your daily work? I mean, how are you better at your job now because of that experience of seven or eight months doing retail?
1: Sure. Well, first I, I want to answer a little bit of your question beforehand yeah yeah you know I, i made i made retail sound so fluffy because of our customers and like yes that was totally the positive part but holy shit like working retail is the greatest thing for you to like understand marketing to understand their customer to understand the products and like why something sells over something else and, um, you know, really learning to read people's, um, body language and interpersonal communication, you know? Um, and also it's just hard. You're on your feet all day long. You're, you know, you're chipper, you're have a positive attitude. You're, you need to genuinely be interested in the folks that you're talking to. Um, and like your level of hospitality is like, You know, it needs to be on at all times. And I think that was, that's something that I've carried into my personal life too so much is is like the level of hospitality that I learned from being, you know, running a retail store is, is incredible. You know, I feel like when people come into my house, I'm like, oh, I know, here's where you can put everything and like, I already have sparkling water for you. (laughs) It's silly, but yeah, I've seen it carry over um, into my personal life so much.
0: One of the things I learned from it was just humility because I I worked at a outdoor gear store, kind of a local regional outdoor store in the Southeast. And um, you know, most of the customers are so cool and, you know, common, Values And you can talk to them about whatever outdoors thing they're doing. But like one one out of a 100 is the biggest asshole you've ever met. And yeah. in real life, you know, when I was a 20 year old loudmouth college guy, like most of the time I would probably just be tempted to just let loose on somebody like that. But you can't. <laughs> In, in a position like that, you know, if you're, if you're a responsible person and you're good at, and you're good at your job, you cannot do that. And you have to have a level of professionalism. And I, that was such a good lesson for me, um, just to kind Absolutely. of understand humility and understand that you can't always <laughs> have your way and things aren't going to always be exactly how I want them to be. And mm-hmm. I've I understand I've never waited tables, but I think it's the same, you get the same lesson there as well. Have you ever waited tables? Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yep. Yeah.
0: Invaluable. Um, Yeah. So
1: you know i was ahead. I was just thinking while you were saying that is I think a lot of um you know when when you're put in a difficult situation, um, and that's usually when your true colors yes. really shine, yes. you know, like whether you're in the difficult situation in the woods or like at the retail store and some jerks, you know yelling your head off. It's like, or yelling his head off. It's like, that's when your true colors shine of like how you handle that as a human being. And I think those lessons are learned pretty quickly on the retail floor.
0: I agree. And I think you get better at it too. Like, I think every time something unpleasant like that happens, it, um, if if you're focused, I think you can, get a little bit better at handle, like you might not handle it perfectly one time. And then the next time you handle it a little bit better. So there's a skill there that can be acquired of dealing with difficult people. And I think that is a skill that all humans need, because there are a lot of damn difficult people. And unless you <laughs> want to go around fighting all day, it's it's a good skill. <laughs> Being able Absolutely. to placate those people is good. Um, thinking about your career, and so you, you went from working in the corporate side of things, then the retail, and then back into the corporate. And now you've been doing that for for a while. And if if somebody like a recent college graduate came to you and asked for advice on getting into the outdoor industry or the retail, I mean, the the outdoor apparel industry, what would Mm -hmm. your advice be? Because you obviously did something, right?
1: Gosh, well, from my experience, I would just say like, Pick a brand that you want to work for. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of what I think how I ended up at Philson was totally manifesting, you know. yeah. Um, but also like pick a brand that aligns with your values and your passions. That's so huge. You know, it'll always come through in the work that you do. Um, and, you know, show, show the company how you can be an asset and and better the business and like very much be willing to like take the part time retail job just to get your foot in the door or be the sample organizer for a shoe company, you know, just to like get, get in. Um, and man, a a good attitude will get you a really long way too. Um, my, my buddy Evan, um, he's one of my favorite examples of someone that kind of worked their way, you know, a recent grad that worked their way into the outdoor apparel industry is, um, he he's been with Patagonia for six or seven years now, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But he studied architecture in college, um, but wanted to work for Patagonia super bad. And he pursued them with like his innovations and his ideas until I think finally they just brought him in for an interview. Um, you know, now he's the head designer for PAX and has been for a while. Really? So yeah. So it's it, and I I just love that story because he picked a brand. And they aligned with his values and his passions and um, you know, he did everything he could to get in the door.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way to think about it or one way to think about it, is if it were easy, you know, everybody would have that job. And so you really do have to stand out, whether it's you know, I I thought it was two things about your story are cool, is that you were you know, you did that internship which opened plenty of new opportunities and then you worked retail for a while until you were able to get in onto the corporate side of things and I think that is, um, it just shows a level of commitment to to what you want to do. And, I mean, I I see that in the, in the conservation. That's how I got into conservation. I mean, I was selling uh-huh. ranches, and I just went to every single land trust when I moved to Colorado. I was like, hey, let me know how I can help. I want to help. Whatever I can do. And so on the side, I'd be doing projects. And over the course of years, it ended up being consulting projects that paid. And then it ended up being board positions. And then I decided I wanted to do it full time. And so, I mean, I think that. Going wow. the extra mile is is huge. Not that I'm a career counselor or have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, but. I'm not either.
1: <laughs> but it's we obviously both love what we do and that's that'll get you somewhere.
0: I agree, completely. Um I completely agree. So one more kind of career question. I don't know if you read many like business books or management books or
1: no. anything
0: like that. <laughs> You just do it. You don't need to see. I sit around reading and thinking all day. I should be just doing more. Well, I mean, are there any, any books that have come to mind that over your career in your life that you would say have, have, um, contributed to your professional success?
1: Gosh, no, I don't. I don't read those kind of books. And I think, and this could be so wrong, but I think I do it on purpose. What do you mean? Because I don't know. I just think that like, failing and asking, you know, from my mentors and my peers and, um, trial and error has just seemed to be my way of learning. Yeah. It's not right for everybody, you know? Um, but I think I've, you know, I've learned a lot through my mentors and observing, Um, and being a manager, you know, like you learn a lot through that. Having to Um, teach.
0: Yeah. Having to teach it versus just try to think, thinking you understand it, teaching it to somebody is a whole different level.
1: Absolutely. You know, I learned, um, I did, um, yoga teacher training about, let's see, four, four years ago, I think now. Yep. Um, and I, the amount of personal growth that I had through that experience was incredible, but, um, I think a lot of my, at least managing skills have come from what I learned in that. And that might just sound like totally cliche and I'm not like a total woo woo manager by any means, but I, but I think just like being able to connect, um, with people and finding out what makes them tick and, and understanding that like what motivates me may not motivate somebody else, Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, just, just learning through, through that, I think, gosh, I learned so much in that teacher training, um, about how to, to deal with others, which was so surprising.
0: No, that makes sense. And I, and I completely agree with your, your thing about experience and and trial and error and and figuring it out, because I I think sometimes I used to read a lot of these business books and I think in some in some ways they can just be a distraction, from actually doing stuff, because in mm. the end, the only way you're going to learn how to do it is by doing it. I mm-hmm. mean, you can halfway prepare, but think about running and like hokas and stuff. Like I could read a million books about how to run ultra marathons, but until you go <laughs> you out gotta there, get off your ass <laughs> yeah, every weekend and like throw up in the woods a few times and you know mess up your knees, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to run an ultra marathon. And so, I mean, it's the books maybe help a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. it's all about busting your ass I think
2: (laughs) yep it is
0: Um, All right. so your job it it combines this career you've built in the outdoor apparel world and then some of that crosses over with your love for public lands which were a big part of your youth and then when we were talking the other day you mentioned this epic road trip that you and your husband (laughs) did kind of featuring public lands so tell me about that
1: yeah. Again. Sure. Again. again. <laughs> yeah. that's Okay. Um, so yeah, we I had worked for after college worked for UGG um, for about four and a half years, I think. Um, I met my husband down there in Santa Barbara. Okay. He, you know, so Montana girl moved to Santa Barbara. I was like, okay, I need to learn how to surf. I need to learn how to dive and like fish in the ocean. All these things. And Fourth um, of July barbecue. Um, this guy is like <laughs> across the, the park from me. And I ask all these girls next to me, I was like, who's, who's that guy? <laughs> like, oh, I think his name's Rondo. And I like yell Rondo and like throw him the Frisbee and, and, um, I don't know why I'm telling you my love story either. Cause it's not the question.
0: <laughs> no, keep it going. I want to hear it.
1: But, uh, he caught the Frisbee and like really it, within 30 minutes, we were basically like standing a foot away from each other. Like passing the frisbee back and forth and he was like oh i'll teach you how to surf i'll you know like all this stuff yeah. um so that's why i ended up really sticking around santa barbara for so long but what we totally connected on other than he was reading lonesome dove at the time and he was like i've never met anyone from montana before <laughs> 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 um so i hooked him with that oh yeah for sure but um we had the same dream of quitting our jobs. He'd worked in the surf industry for like eight years by that time. Um, we had the same dream of quitting our jobs and traveling the U.S. for a year. We both called it. This is the weirdest thing, too, is we both called it our first retirement. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so we started like dreaming over what kind of rig we would want to take. You know, he's like surfer, obviously. So he's like van, built out van, you know, all this And I'm a country girl. And I was like, I want to restore a 1970s trailer, you know, pull it with my truck. Like, that's what I envisioned. Um, And so, of course, I won. We finally finally found um, a 1971 Shasta, like somewhere in the desert in Arizona, because it was finally the first one we found that, like, wasn't completely rotted out, you know? Yeah. Um so we restored that and quit our jobs and um just traveled around the US. I counted this. I think this is when you and I spoke. I had just I was just doing a storytelling night and I'd counted I kept a journal every night where we slept and we had um spent 183 nights I think on public land that entire year.
0: That is so cool. That so, was so cool. Like so what was all right. I I love asking people this question about everything. What was it? It's just like, get straight down to the business. What was the craziest thing that happened the entire trip? Like you meet any real lunatic people or did anything just, <laughs> just really scary or funny? What was the craziest thing?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it was actually, we, we didn't have like any one wild story, which I'm not bummed about That's because, probably good. Yeah, because it was it was really good. Especially like no, you know, we had we were sleeping in a twin bed for an entire year with our dogs. It was like the three of us.
0: How many a pump dogs? Sink,
1: just one. And he's okay. small. He's okay. a little street rat. Cool. Yeah. But um, you know, it's pump sink. We had no shower, no toilet. Like I used a baby wipes and a garden shovel for an entire year. <laughs> Um, and like nothing, nothing crazy happened. I guess the craziest thing would be, um, we, I remember before we left for the trip, we were looking at an atlas, um, that we kind of kept in the truck to mark places where we slept and all that. And we were like, we saw Maine on the map and neither of us had spent much time on the East coast. Yeah. And we were like, Whoa, like if we can make it to Maine, we can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And which is silly. Um, and when we actually got to Maine, it was probably eight months later, you know, on the, on the trip and a huge snowstorm. So we, so we spent, um, the the spring we left in the spring, spent the whole spring in the Southwest, which is just incredible. Um, I mean, you know, living in Colorado and the spring is just, gosh, that's, you're so lucky. Um, and then, you know, we spent the whole summer going up the West Coast, the fall in Montana because, like, there's nowhere better to be than than Montana in the fall.
2: Yeah, I agree. And then
1: busted over to the East Coast um, trying to get to Maine before the snow fell. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to Maine and we're like, whoa, we can do anything. And it's snowing, like crazy, crazy snow. And we're supposed to go to... Acadia National Park like that was the one place that we're like if we can make it there we can do anything (laughs) and it's this crazy snowstorm and Adam is like you know we were pulling this tin can on wheels behind us Uh and I'm like dude let's just pull over let's just have a night here like we'll let the storm pass and then we'll make it up to Acadia if there's not too much snow. And he was just, like, being super stubborn. And he's the most patient man in the entire world. And he's like, nope, we're going. And he's, like, white-knuckling it. And the trailer is literally, like, you know, swinging behind us. Um, we, we make it to Acadia. And this was early in the morning. We make it there. Nobody's there. Mm-hmm. Park's, like, only a part of it is open. And um, I was kind of I was kind of bugging Adam about it the whole time. Because so I was like, why are we doing this? Like, this just doesn't seem seem like the right time to be heading up there. You know, we got our trailer is our home. So we're also taking that, you know, into consideration. Like, we got to be careful of this thing. Um, anyhow, so we get up into the park and he proposed. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And that was... Um, why he wanted to get there because he remembered our conversation saying like if we can make it to Maine we can do anything <laughs> so
0: then did you, and then, you feel really bad for for giving him a hard time
1: <laughs> oh totally oh yeah and of course poor guy is like probably so nervous and, oh he well, was so nervous totally we didn't really like talk a, a ton about getting married either and so um and I was stoked and still I'm stoked but
0: <laughs> that's awesome
1: was, yeah yeah it was that was pretty crazy. So
0: it was definitely, he, he must be patient because he. There's no telling how long he had that ring. From the from, <laughs> I'm not joking. From the moment I got my hands on the ring until I proposed to my wife, it was like five minutes. Because <laughs> I gotten no. it, and then I had my parents bring it, and then my dad gave it to me. I was like, all right, and I walked upstairs and did it. <laughs> no
2: way! I oh, that is I'm,
0: too I'm the least per I'm the least patient person you've ever met so Uh, kind of two ends of two ends of the spectrum have
1: y'all been married
0: um we are coming up on 10 years it'll be 10 years uh this summer which is which is awesome it's flown it's crazy
1: Mm. good job and there
0: are two humans on this earth because of it too which is wild wow Um, yeah
1: you got baby girls right
0: baby girls yeah they're hilarious They're, they're complete one of them uh well, I'll spare you all that I don't want to scare you off from having kids <laughs> It's awesome is I highly recommend it um so all right, thinking about that big road trip oh, and yeah. when it's all said and done, i mean you you grew up living an adventurous childhood by by any yep. standard of of americans and but like how were you different when you got back from from that that mm. trip because that's a that's a formative experience for you and then for your, you and your husband's relationship and I mean, I think there's a lot that can be learned from experiences like that. So, I mean, were there any big takeaways from it?
1: You know, I think it's like I really learned the quality of items in my life. Like what's necessary or, you know, what's necessary to have like for uh, to stay alive and then like for your happiness. You know, we've we've always lived in really small places, you know, lived in a garage um, a a little like beach bungalow in Santa Barbara, a tiny cabin, you know, now we live in a tiny apartment in Seattle. Um, and I think I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I think what I learned from that time in the trailer was to own the things that you need in order to stay happy and survive. Um, and that they better be, high quality, you know, they better be built to last.
0: Yeah. Um, it definitely goes directly back to, or it goes forward to what you're doing now. Um, that's a great, had you always been like that though? Or, or did that change?
1: It? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, for, for the most part, I think, you know, I grew up that way for the most part, you know, my folks are very much like that too. Um, but I, I kind of always want the feeling of to know that like I can, pack up my entire house in half a day. you
0: know. Yes, I do know. I think that's well. I mean. And the thing is, I think you need to be reminded of that because just general American society, like if if you think about if you just go with the flow, you're going to end up owning a lot of crap and a lot oh, of cheaply so made crap. And so I think getting a little a little reminder every now and then, which it sounds like that that trip was a, a great reminder and a great way to kind of start your life together with your husband. My wife and I had a similar experience in Costa Rica. Um, we lived down there for the first year of our marriage and really, I was not at all like a, um, wanted a bunch of stuff, but I I had too much stuff and living down there. Mm. I talked about that on one of my recent podcasts with uh, Jessica Lewis. We, and it seems like that, that theme comes up time and again with people that I have on here is just not owning a lot of junk, which I think is, is very admirable. Yeah.
1: I think valuing it. People are starting to, or I hope are starting to value experience over things.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you have to. Um, uh-huh. And so Montana, you've traveled around the country. And now you're in the Pacific Northwest, and I love the Pacific Northwest. I think uh-huh. it's, I think it's so special and unique, and it toughens you up or toughened me up so much. Uh-huh. What well, give me just a few of your favorite spots in the Pacific Northwest? Because I don't, I think you're the first person I've had on here who lives and works in Seattle. I had.
1: Oh no way! Okay. Bryce
0: grew up there, but um, but yeah. otherwise, uh, yeah. So so, what's some of your favorite spots around there?
1: Yep. Who I met Bryce the other night, and you um, still
0: came on the podcast. I,
1: that's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did. I um, His Down from the Mountain book. I started it. Down from the Mountain. Yeah, Is that that's right? it. Yep. Yeah, I started reading it last night. Um, but Bad Luck Way, his his first book. Uh, I read it probably three or f- four years ago. But it was such a good book. Um, so I was really happy to listen to him on your podcast. And then also, you know, he happened to be at Elliott Bay books in Seattle that night, which is really like, I, you know, never lived in a city before. And having a large independent bookstore in your city is like, the, is the coolest thing, you know, I can go up there and just get lost for hours and go meet people like Bryce you know, huh? that are oh, just yeah. popping through and yeah, it's so cool. Um, so other than the bookstore, <laughs> I really love, um, the Olympic peninsula. You yes. know, I grew up in Montana, got to, you know, eat all the bear and elk and deer I could have ever, you know, wanted and spent all the time in the woods and not all that I've ever wanted. Cause I still want that, yeah. but, <laughs> um, I've got, I, I've gotten that experience and I'm going to continue to have that experience. In my life and getting to go out to the Olympic Peninsula is such a gift. I mean, it is. Talking about like rugged, you know, you cannot be a wussy out there. No. Like the weather is so unforgiving. Um, It's just wet. It's cold. It's windy. But the amount of food... (laughs) that comes like the grocery shopping on the Olympic peninsula is so good. I mean like oysters, clams, razor clams, squid, salmon. I mean, everything. It's so amazing. And I know that like someday when we, when we move back to Montana, like I will miss that so much. Um, it's yeah, that's definitely my favorite part for sure. Uh, we went, we went, sorry, we went razor clamming, um, a couple weekends ago and, um, got our limit and cleaned them right away and, you know, just blanched them and ate them right then. And I was like, man, like sitting high on the hog out here. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty cool.
0: That's super cool. Um, I did a semester at Knowles during college, the National Outdoor Leadership School, and Mm -hmm. we were in the Pacific Northwest and I went there for the mountain climbing stuff, but we spent like two and a half, three weeks on the Olympic Peninsula and that was hands down the coolest part of the trip. I mean, the the weather, the wildlife, the, I mean, the, like when you're walking along the beach and you have to time your hikes because of the tides, because if you don't, yep. all those trees <laughs> will start moving around and smash you. I mean, it it is hardcore. Death logs. Yes. I mean, that, I couldn't believe it. I, I really couldn't yeah. believe it. And, and just the, like you'd be walking along and you hear a noise behind a rock and you look, there's like a baby seal hanging out back there and the mom's out yeah. fishing. And yeah, that's really unique place. Can, yeah, how do you, how do you do with the elk. rain? Yeah. Roosevelt elk. That was the first time yeah. I ever saw one of those. Um, yeah. how do you deal with the rain? You, can you deal with it? All right.
1: Oh yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's all about the clothes you're wearing, you Yeah. Know, it's like Filsen. as long as you, yeah, exactly. But yeah, if you've <laughs> got wool base layers and something that's going to keep you dry on top, there's no reason for that to stop you from getting outside you know i think it's a choice like it's so easy especially when you're living in the city it's so easy to like get up and look out the window and it's rainy you know to like not want to go get outside but um my my husband and i when we moved here actually because i think it was going to be harder for him coming from santa barbara to here than it would be for me and we decided this is so cheesy but we decided that um whoever woke up first and it was raining outside had to come into the room and be like guess what it's raining. (laughs) So that we like reverse psychology, like that feel, you know, that feeling of not wanting to go get out, go get outside.
0: Oh yeah. That's all. I might need to do that, whether it's with, (laughs) with cold or anything that I I don't like. That's awesome. Um, so one more kind of broad question. Um, you mentioned mentors in work and Mm. do you have, I mean, who are your mentors or heroes and they don't, I mean, they could be people you've never met. Like I'm abnormally obsessed with Theodore Roosevelt, yeah, like to the point that it's starting to weird out my family. but <laughs> but like, oh, who are yours?
1: Yeah,'ll I'll answer that in a second. but have you been to this is so cool. Okay, so Filson um, opened a New York flagship store um, in Union Square in November. So I got to be out pretty much in New York for a couple weeks in November, getting that open, having cool. grand opening parties. And literally around uh, the block from our Union Square store is Teddy Roosevelt's house, like where oh, he yeah. was born. Where, where he, he was born, yeah. Where, yeah, where he rose. Did you have you been in there?
0: I have not been there, and I haven't been to Sagamore Hill, which is is where he, you know, his yep. is home as an adult. I haven't been to either of those because I hadn't been. To, I haven't been in New York. I bet I've been to New York in like. Seventeen years, fifteen years. That shows how old I am. But I just for some reason, with all my work travel and everything, I haven't been there. And so I really need to get there because I want to see all of it. I just need to go yeah. just just to do that stuff, actually.
1: Honestly, that's like I mean I, I'm there for work and that's usually the only reason why, but I try to squeeze in one day of like natural history museum. Yep. Always. Which is so TR's
0: so dad incredible. started.
1: Exactly. Yes. And then um yeah, this last time I was there got to go into, um, yeah, his, his home where he was raised. Um, I actually got to go with, um, Land Tawny, the president and CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, who is, you know, just as big of a Teddy fan, um, as you are, or maybe even greater. (laughs) Um, so that was a really special experience to see that with him.
0: That's really cool. I've got a Um, shirt, uh, from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers that has a picture of TR on it and it says, WWTRD, like what would TRD do?
1: That's so good.
0: Yep. it's really awesome and really yeah. nerdy. Um, yeah, it
1: is. Um, oh, you asked me about mentors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I've had so many and so many wonderful examples um, in my life, but definitely the one that stands out for me is my my big brother, um, Peter. So he's just a couple years older than me, and it was just the two of us. Um and he has—he's been letting me follow him around in the woods forever. Uh, I'm still following him, honestly.
2: Nice. Um,
1: yeah, he's—he's he's patient. He's kind. He's funny. Um, his integrity, like, is, is unmatched. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives the most sage, unemotional advice. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he taught me how to fish, woodsmanship. Um, And a lot, I would say why he is like my mentor though, is like a lot of, um, you know, while he was teaching me how to fish, how, how, you know, woodsmanship and, and how to, you know, my dad mostly taught me how to hunt, but my brother spent a ton of time with me, um, you know, dialing in my rifles and working on that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the majority of how he's been a mentor to me is like the mental game that's involved in all of that stuff. Yep. Um, He's just so cool and collected and, um, yeah, I think helped, really taught me how to, to be, to find that space in my life, too. Um,
0: the big brother. And, and I'm a totally big brother.
1: You are. Was he very uh,
0: protective of you?
1: No, not at all. Oh, man, I, like, dated all of his friends. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But, like, <laughs> I don't know. He just, yeah, he just, um, he trusts me, though. Yeah. You know, he's always trusted me. And that's what's so cool about our relationship. Um, but I'd say the last thing, like, I would say one of the more important things that he taught me, like, from a very young age was um, how to respect wildlife. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just in the way he, you know, when he would, um, when he'd harvest an animal, the way he treated it, the way, you know, how he's used every single part of it and always is learning more and trying to, um, continue to use the entire animal. And, um, yeah, I mean, he sh- showed me how to do that from a very, very young age, except for ants. He was always blown up anthills, but I don't know if that counts.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, he sounds like a, a, a great, just a great dude and a great mentor. And the, the definition of what a big brother should be. That's, that's super cool. Um, well, we were already been talking for like an hour, which is nuts, oh. but, um, <laughs> So can I run through, I've got some quick questions that I ask everybody sure. um, or so I ask everybody some version of these, if we could go through those and then I'll let you get on to your weekend. Um, <laughs> so what we've talked a little bit about books and our shared love of bookstores. I love local bookstores. Mm. And do you have any favorite books specifically related to the West?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, I mean, Jim Harrison, of course. Yep. Uh, Delva, Good Day to Die, Legends of the Fall, all of his poetry, um, even his writing about food. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivan Doig... Um, specifically this house of sky yes um have you read that okay
0: i, I had not read it yet and okay. i have it on my shelf um thanks to somebody who was nice oh, enough to send it to read me it. and yep. they, it keeps coming up and so i don't know why oh, i need funny. to hurry yeah. and read it yeah
1: yeah i mean it's a memoir of his younger years growing up in the smith river valley which my family um so that that crazy uh Great grandfather yep. Lloyd Snow Hall that I was telling you about earlier, he actually um, had the insane foresight to um, purchase a homestead from someone um, back in the, the early 30s. Um, so we still have that in our family out there in the Smith River Valley. Oh, cool. um, yeah, it's 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 incredible. But um, you know the the story is of Ivan have growing up out there. Um, being a ranch hand and like tending to the sheep with his father and, um, yeah, just the way he describes the landscape makes me homesick. (laughs) Um, but, uh, okay. I would say most notably right now, I'm in love with Pam Houston.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, she just came out with a new book called deep Creek. Um, it's about like how buying a ranch that butts up to the national forest in Creed, Colorado, um, basically saved her life. Um, yeah. You know, you know, when you fall in love with a book, um, so you automatically love everything else the author puts out.
0: Yes. Yes. I yeah. Do know that.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's how it is for me and Pam. Like she wrote, she wrote, um, Cowboys are my weakness like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read it probably 13 years ago. Um, and it was definitely like at the right time in my life when I read it. Um, and it's one of those that I revisit, I revisit. Every now and again, um, and so anything she writes, I just gobble it right up.
0: Yeah, several people recently have mentioned Deep Creek and said that it's it's really good. Um, that's all. Yeah, I, and I know exactly what you mean about finding one book. You that's how I'm with Hampton Sides' books, the uh, I read mm. Blood and Thunder, and I, every single one of his books is just just awesome. What's your favorite book of all time? It doesn't have to be about the West.
1: Yeah, um, it's definitely the This House of Sky.
0: Really? Western.
1: Yeah. Landscape of the Western mind. Oh, yeah.
0: The um, I had um, a woman on here named Sarah Calhoun who started mm-hmm. um, the apparel company Red Ants Pants.
1: Oh, yeah. oh She's White Sulphur Springs. Yes. Yeah, yep. she,
0: she moved there It's because of that book. Like that no book way. is what led, led her there. And then she started a company like that book was responsible for kind of starting everything that she's done since, which I thought was pretty I hadn't, cool.
1: I did not know that part. I got to call her up because, oh man, and I want to live in White Sulphur Springs so bad. When I, I took, I was called it a business trip when I took, or a, a sales trip, because like Adam loves the Flathead Valley where I grew up. You know, it's so beautiful there on the north end of Flathead Lake. There's nothing to not like about it. Yep. But I was like, ooh, I got to sell White Sulphur Springs to him. <laughs>
2: and we drove
1: through and everything was like boarded up. And oh, like, yeah. You know, it was just looking like a ghost town. I was like, "Damn it! I swear, <laughs> I swear that this is, I mean, that's what I like about it. But, oh
0: yeah, the, you know. it's yeah. She's she's um, Sarah has done some cool stuff. You know, obviously with her company, but then just community development, economic development. So yeah, you that never,
1: concert.
0: Yeah, she's she's a badass. Um, all the outdoor experiences you've had. I mean, all over. You know, from Maine to. Florida to you know in basically every corner of the country is there one that stands out as being the most powerful outdoor experience you've had so and that could be scary funny just Hmm. a memorable um any any come to mind
1: well my favorite place in the whole world is the Bob Marshall wilderness
0: that comes Um, up so many times on this podcast and I've never been there
1: it's oh man it's so if it's the it's the first place that I've ever been and I, you know, standing in the middle of being like, okay, like I feel, I feel pretty removed, you know, and yeah. that's, that's a good, that's such a good feeling. Definitely. Um, but I would say like an experience that, um, that I had was, and th- I think this has kind of played into who I am today is, uh, I was really young, um, and riding, riding my, mom's horse in the wilderness. Um, or not in the wilderness. I was on for, uh, national forest, not far from my folks house. And I found a horse, um, in the woods and she was just like completely shriveled up. Um, her feet were totally overgrown. Um, her, you know, her teeth looked awful. She was mm-hmm. barely hanging on there. And I threw a rope around her and brought her home. And, my mom says I don't remember this. I was so young, and my mom says um, that I I brought my mom a horse, and I was like, "Mom, I've been praying to to Jesus to bring me a horse, and He finally did." And my mom is like, "Oh my gosh, what is happening here? Like, oh, what is this horse? Like, what you know?" And like, "Oh gosh, you know, the sweet girl saying like she's been praying for a horse, and here she found it." <laughs> so my folks ended up helping, you know totally helping me rehabilitate this horse I named her Hannah really um, That's so cool. yeah and we put up signs all over the town like you know found horse blah 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 it turns out you know the county I grew up in is like free range basically yeah so you know you can you can let your if there's not a fence keeping something in then it can go sure um, and you know someone was down on their luck and couldn't afford to feed the horse anymore and it was winter and let it go um and my folks took it in and i rode her all summer and all fall um and she was looking healthy again and i was riding back um heading to that same forest that i found her and the owner pulled over and was like that's my horse like where the you know get the hell off my horse whoa and i was yeah and i was just a little kid um and you know, told her, well, this is where I live. Like, just I'll ride the horse back to my my folks' house, and like, you know, you you talk with them about it. And um, my my parents ended up, you know, they didn't want to get messed up in in any of that situation. They didn't want to have, you know, anything bad happen. And so they ended up giving the horse back. But um, I think through that situation, I just learned like how how to care for an animal. Sure. Um. Yeah. How to care for um, a sick animal and like how to just deal with people in a lesser situation than you or that maybe don't have the same knowledge that you have. Um, yeah, it was just handled so beautifully. I was talking to my mom about that yesterday. That's, that's the only reason why I brought that up. But
0: no, that's a great um, story. And that's completely unique um, to where you grew up. Because, I mean, I used to find like, Turtles and bring them home, <laughs> and you found a yeah. horse.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, silly! Yeah, really unique situation for sure. But that's yeah. well,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a great story. That's that's really neat. Um, if you had to pick one place, where is your favorite place in the West?
1: Mm, yeah, that um, that cabin that we have on the Smith River. Um, it just has so much family history and it's bordered, um, by national forests on both sides. And the river is incredible fishing. There's bear and elk and, um, all sorts of night predators crawling through that place. Um, yeah, you know, it's just like the heartbeat of my family for sure.
0: That's, that's really neat to have that. Um, a cabin there would be cool in any fashion but the fact that it's got that family history just adds layers to it um Mm. what this is a hard one but what is the best piece of advice you've ever received
2: (laughs) yeah um
1: well this is here this is one that my mom always i feel like i've been talking about my folks a bunch but um that's okay they're they're really good people yeah Um, yeah definitely my mom, she'll still remind me of this, but she'll say, go take a good long look in the mirror.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, I, you know, I think that's so important, um, when you are in a situation that, um, you know, isn't maybe going your way or whatever, just to go look at yourself first and see how you may have affected that. Um, or yeah, yeah.
0: I think that's very wise. I'd need to take that advice myself,
1: <laughs> I did, and I do too. You know, and it's always a good reminder. You know, I need to like record my mom saying that when she's gone someday, so I can be reminded. Mary Margaret, you go take one good long look in the mirror.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, last kind of big question: if if you could make a request or offer words of wisdom, what you just said is actually very, very, very wise. <laughs> But if you could, you know, make a, a, a request, words of wisdom, offer some advice to the people that listen to this podcast. And it's just people that love the West in one way or the other. Mm, Does, yep. Do you have any any sage wisdom to offer?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we talked a lot about being outside. And I think it's our responsibility to ourselves um, to continue to return to the land for adventure and clarity and muscle strengthening Um, self-awareness for fun, you know, whether that's getting food or just going out for a hike. Um, and it's, it's, and in turn, it's also our responsibility to protect those places, um, with our voice and the organizations we choose to participate in the brands that we buy from with our vote. Um, so that, you know, our children's children can continue to return to those places, um, for adventure and clarity and muscle strengthening and fun.
0: I definitely agree with that. And I appreciate all the work you and and your company do to, uh, to help that happen. I mean, it's, it it requires effort, you know, it's not going to happen on its own. So I appreciate all y'all are doing for that. Um, how can people connect with you online, hassle you online? (laughs) (laughs) Is there, are there any, uh, any spots they should look?
1: Um, well I would definitely say I would love for anyone interested to go look at filson.com. Yes. That's not connecting with me, but just the brand. Um, and I have Instagram.
0: <laughs> I will link to your Instagram. I know where to find you on Instagram. So okay. I'll, yeah. I'll link It's to a that.
1: silly, you know, I must've got in early on Instagram because, um, my Instagram name is long hairs don't care. And like, that was totally my thing, you know, it's like, Sure, whatever. Long I don't care. And somehow I got in on Instagram early enough to swoop in on that name. Which is funny.
0: That's I feel awesome. like I've
1: outgrown it, but like I never will. You no, you
0: gotta go with it. It's you, oh, exactly. you go with it. Um, my hair's
1: still long. The moment I cut my hair, that might need to happen.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for your time. This is really really, really fun. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I feel like I wanna switch uh roles with you next time. Like you have led such an interesting life and um, have seen so much I want to ask some I want to ask so many questions about raising girls and how you want to raise them you know in the woods and what you're going to do to encourage them to you know be stewards of the land and
0: I told you that yeah. I'm, I'm in witness relocation program, so I can't, yeah, I can't right. talk about myself <laughs> at all so I'm sorry we'll, maybe that's uh right. when we're not recording hey it's Ed again